When I was a, a fairly new Christian convert as a, uh, in my 20s, I went to a bachelor party. For context, this is in Northern California. That's important to understand. Went to a bachelor party uh, for one of my best friends. A dozen or so of us, his really good friends, some of my acquaintances went camping for several days. Um, and the, throughout the trip, uh, about a day into it or so, the second or third day, there were some jokes being tossed around about Christians um, and just sort of like, can you believe that those Christians? And it was so bizarre to me uh, that this was happening because, you know, we had hung out for years and I don't feel like that was like a common theme, you know, especially when we went camping or something to have this happen. Uh, and of course, I'm sitting there uh, being very quiet and, um, and, and feeling very pained about this because I'm a new Christian myself. And none of them knew. None of them knew. I'd hit it. You know, I'd snuck out Sunday morning so my roommates wouldn't see me going to church. And um, I just wasn't comfortable identifying as a Christian yet publicly. And so at the end of this trip, when it sort of came to a crescendo, this kind of talk about Christians, I said, you guys, I have to let you know that I've converted to Christianity. And it was like, whoop, you know, record stop. <laughs> Um, and they were like, come on, you're joking. And I was like, no, I'm I dead serious, including the groom had no idea for him to find out this way on the trip. You know, gosh, Matt, way to suck the life out of this bachelor camping trip. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, when it was happening, I thought, why in the world is this happening? But in reflection back on it, I'm convinced that it was like perhaps God's supernatural providence uh, making them speak this way so that I would be outed, so that I would have to tell them, uh, that I would have to, as it were, proclaim the message of Christianity to them or begin to. Um, and, you know, perhaps my own story, uh, you know, is, a, is a sort of the first taste of what I would experience the rest of my life, of the opposition to this message. I have and continue to experience opposition uh, to the message of Christianity. And this story of the camping trip might be a sort of lowercase p version of persecution. Reminds me of a recent Babylon Bee article that came out uh, online. It's sort of like the onion for Christians. And the headline, the headlines are the thing that's always just worth reading was, American believer suffers brutal persecution in form of occasional ribbing from coworkers. Um, that's, I thought it was funny. Um, that's, uh, that was my camping trip. But, but, you know, I mean, people are being persecuted and have been the last two millennia and still to this day being killed suffering physical harm uh, for this message of, uh, of Christianity, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, persevering with proclaiming the gospel message amidst suffering is what Paul's second letter to Timothy is all about. It's a great letter for meditating on gospel ministry. I've been preaching about it at the five o'clock for a couple few weeks, and others have, so if you've been hearing me there, I'm sorry, it sounds a lot like those sermons. I'm driving home this message because I'm preaching on the same letter. And Paul is all about the urgency of sharing this message, even uh, when people make you feel shameful or persecute you for it. And Paul tells Timothy throughout, he repeats over and over again, do not be ashamed, endure the suffering. And he tells him to focus on the task of preaching and te teaching this message when uh, there's so much happening that will distract you from it. And amidst a world that is distracted and uh, departs from sound doctrine and even puts people to death for being messengers of this gospel message. 
Prior to today's passage, uh, what we read last week from Paul uh, in the first part of chapter 4, Paul says these uh, famous words, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's important to keep in mind because our passage today is a little bit decontextualized. It's running out of that thought that uh, people will find teachers to suit their own passions, to talk about things in their own echo chamber of what they want to hear. And Paul there moves on to talk about some of his own friends and colleagues, probably previously uh, ministers of the gospel who have departed uh, from him, have turned from the truth and wandered off into the mist themselves. I'm not talking about just any old Joe Schmo. These are his colleagues who are also pastors. He talks about, he calls them out by name. He talks about a guy named Demas. He says, in love with this present world has deserted. Sounds a lot like verses three and four, what I just read. Maybe he had Demas in mind when he was writing, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate teachers for themselves. Demas, a fellow minister previously of the gospel, had done so. And another friend he mentions is Alexander the coppersmith, who is probably the man who had Paul arrested, betrayed him just like Judas betrayed uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here so Alexander the coppersmith probably also betrayed Paul so that he would be arrested and imprisoned for the second time. And now Paul himself in prison. This isn't like his first Uh, arrest where he's under a sort of uh, comfortable house arrest, this time he's awaiting execution. He says, I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering. My blood will spill for this message. And he knows it. He doesn't know exactly when it's coming, but it is in sight. Uh, But the funny thing is, in this passage, what we see is he uses his own trial, his arrest, his trial, and his imprisonment as a platform like this very pulpit to preach the gospel. Listen to this. This is crazy. Verses 17 and 18. Listen to what he says. Uh, After Demas had deserted him, after Alexander the coppersmith had betrayed him, he says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's saying, the Lord, even though these guys had left me, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that when I was in the courtroom, I could use that as an opportunity to preach the gospel to the Gentiles who had not yet heard it. In front of my judge, this earthly judge who had judged me for this crime, this earthly crime, uh, I preached the message to him so that he might come to faith. And then, he, and then on verse, in verse 18, there's a little bit of a switch you have to understand. He says, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Uh, not like the lions in the, uh, the arena, but uh, I was rescued from Satan. Or perhaps I was rescued from this judge. I was rescued from uh, Nero, not because I won't die by their execution, but because the Lord rescued me from my own sinfulness. The, the powers of wickedness in this world, that's the thing that's more important. They may take my life but I have life eternal because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And this is the assurance on which Paul stands, that I await Christ's second coming uh, 
because I know I will go safely into his kingdom. He's so assured of his own standing before God that he uses the courtroom to be a knave in a pulpit to preach the gospel, just as I am to you this morning. In our own uh, Anglican tradition, the Episcopal Church stands within the Anglican Church of England heritage. In our own tradition, we have our own martyrs, just like Paul or Stephen or Christ himself, who've died for this message, uh, often burned at the stake for reformational teaching. The same very message that we preach here Sunday by Sunday at the Advent. And the most famous of those you probably know are the Oxford martyrs, Thomas Cranmer, Nicholas Ridley, and Hugh Latimer. But there's another uh, martyr of the English Reformation who came a little before these guys who you might not know so well. His name is Thomas Bilney, B-I-L-N-E-Y. Have you heard of him? Thomas Bilney. He's a less known reformer, but he also was burned at a place called the Lollard's Pit, which now, if you go there, is a pub. (laughs) And they have a plaque outside this Tudor-looking pub that reads this. This is the memorial. To the glory of God and in grateful memory of Thomas Bilney, fellow at Trinity Hall, Cambridge, burnt to death in the Lollard's Pit, Norwich, August 19th, 1531. Hear this, and this is what the plaque says. For spreading the gospel of free grace salvation by faith in the atoning blood of Christ once offered on the cross. Blessed martyr of God, spiritual father of the Reformation in England. Some of you have probably heard the podcast, The White Horse Inn. This is the guy who started it. The spiritual father, the one who got people like uh, Latimer to come to faith and later influencing Ridley and Cranmer. Um, That's why they say he's the spiritual father. But look at this. They were so precise in the plaque. The gospel, the good news of free grace, free for the taking of salvation, rescue by faith, in the atoning blood of Christ once offered on the cross. How did he get here? How did he get to this place where he was willing to die at at a place called the Lollard's Pit? He was converted by reading Erasmus's Latin Bible, new Latin translation of the Bible, not because he was excited to read the word of God, but because he was a nerd and wanted to read this new Latin Bible. He was curious about the Latin text. And he says this in his recollection of that moment, he says, at the, first, at the very first reading, I w- I, as I well remember, I chanced upon this sentence of St. Paul, oh, most sweet and comfortable sentence to my soul. It is a true saying and worthy of all men to be embraced that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief and principal. That line is from Paul's other letter, his first letter to Timothy. And now, as we just, as Craig just read to us in our liturgy, in the comfortable words, why? Because Bilney had influenced Cranmer, shared the gospel with him. And when he was putting together our service, he put that line in there, the very one that you could say almost kicked off the sort of the, the, uh, the theology of the English Reformation. And Bilney goes on to say this one sentence through God's instruction and inward working which I did not then perceive, did so exhilarate my heart, being before wounded with the guilt of my sins and being almost in despair, that I immediately felt a marvelous comfort and quietness, insomuch that my bruised bones leaped for joy. 
This is a man who's crushed by not only the weight of the world, but by the weight of his own tragedy of sinfulness that he, word, he read these comfortable words and his bruised bones leaped for joy. A lot like the line from Wesley where his heart was strangely warmed. So here we have an earlier conversion with this man, Bilney. But what is this message that leads so many, what is this message about that leads so many to face death with assurance? What do you think the Christian message is all about? I mean, do you have any idea? Or is it sort of a fuzzy, moving target? So many different things competing uh, in the echo chamber of this world or online Facebook feeds and whatnot or the conversations that we have that are filled with trite cliches. You know, for so long, Christians gave me uh, the, the wrong message. And that's why... I, I stayed away because it didn't sound like good news. That's why I needed to convert as a young adult in my 20s because I wasn't hearing the gospel. It wasn't until I finally heard words of comfort. The Christian message was either reduced to morality or spiritual exercises. And I don't, I mean, I, and I don't mean to say I'm pr promoting amorality or aspirituality. Those things flow out of hearing the gospel and being converted by it. But I don't know about you, a sort of moral improvement program or a spiritual exercise just does not seem worth dying over to me. But the gospel message does. And maybe until now you've thought Christianity is a message of do more, try harder, or God helps those who help themselves, or seven steps to your best life now so that you might lead a life full of your potential. Maybe that's what you've thought Christianity is until this very day. The gospel is so much better than those things. We don't need to rise to the occasion. God comes to us in a rescue operation to save us. This is a message worth suffering for and sharing, just as Paul did with assurance in that courtroom. Not ashamed, not afraid to suffer for it. Because he knew that even those who arrested him and offended him and deserted him, needed to hear that message. Well, listen to these words as I end from the very beginning of 2 Timothy, where he gives a sort of encapsulation, a good elevator speech, as it were, of what the gospel is, the good news of uh, Jesus Christ, the message of Christianity, to clarify it for you. He says to Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is the promise of life, not because of our own works, as he says, but because of the gift that was given to us and the grace that we have through Jesus Christ. As that plaque said, the free grace of salvation by the atoning blood of Christ Jesus. I don't know where you are uh, faith-wise. I don't know what's brought you in here this morning. Maybe you come here every Sunday and you know this message very well. That's great, and I'm glad to remind you of it today. Maybe you've come in because you're staying at the Tutwiler and you've just flown in for a business trip and this is the only time that you're ever going to be in this church. 
Maybe you're here because somebody dragged you here reluctantly. Maybe you've come in harried uh, and weary because you've tried to get your kids dressed in nice clothes and you don't want to be here to begin with. Maybe you've come here because for some reason God's put it on your heart that this is where you need to be because you feel that you need it. Let me assure you wherever you are to know that this is the message that's worth dying for, the message worth suffering for, the message that is of great comfort. It is for you. It is for you with your bruised bones from a crushing life and world. It is for you even if you are weak and suffering, sinful, amoral, or lacking in a spiritual program. Hear these words from 1 Timothy once again, the words that converted Thomas Bilney. It is a true saying and worthy of all men to be embraced that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the chief and principal. Amen.